Father in heaven, we thank you so much for um, just for the opportunity to be here. We thank you, Father, for your word and how it always guides us into truth and grace and a source of help. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would uh, speak through my words today. I pray that the words in my mouth and meditations in my heart uh, will be pleasing in your sight and will be helpful to the people gathered here today in person and online uh, to listen to your word proclaimed. And we pray this, Jesus, in the name, uh, above all names, your name. Amen. Amen. Um, about 10, 12 years ago, uh, I had one of the most spiritually significant moments of my entire life. Uh, happened actually on a car ride from Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, back to my home in the Chicago, Illinois suburban area. Um, I was driving uh, back and I had like this four and a half hour drive uh, ahead of me. And I, I'm sure most of you have never made that drive before, but the drive from Cincinnati to Chicago is horrible. It's awful. You should never make it. Uh, it's literally flat desolation everywhere, except for when you get to West Lafayette and there's some creepy windmills that are right there, which is kind of, you're kind of like, I just will like more flatness, actually. That would be less scary. Uh, but anyway, so a real boring drive. So uh, this was probably like 2008, 2009. I loaded up my tan Ford Taurus SES uh, with the Jesus Fish sticker on the back because I'm super Christian. And, uh, and I did this thing. Um, some of you probably won't understand this, but like, if you're going on a road trip, especially a boring road trip, like you needed to like cue up your music, but you didn't have like an iPhone or an iPod or anything. So I had this uh, I had this thing on my uh, on my windshield or windshield wipers on my uh, on my visor uh, by my windshield, and it actually held a bunch of CDs in it. Okay, yeah. So CDs, if you don't know, they're these DVD looking like devices in your car for a long time. You could just pop one in. Some of them had disc changer in them, so you could have like three or good God knows five in at one time. It was incredible, right? And so I had mixed CDs, okay? I had all my emo, you know, late high school, early college music lined up. So I owe oh, it. I appreciate that, man. I, I like that you're loving this. Um, and so I had all that queued up. I thought, well, I should inject some Jesus into this because, you know, I'm a guilty soul and I don't want to just listen to music the whole time. So so I had this sermon CD um, from the church that I used to attend when I lived in Cincinnati. And so I popped it in. And uh, I, as I, I popped it in as I was crossing into Indiana, which is like the beginning of the like, oh, boring, you know, right there. And so I'm crossing into Indiana, I pop in this CD and I start listening. And the pastor was talking about this message, uh, this message on like uh, this saying of Jesus where he says, hey, you need to pick up your cross and die to yourself and you need to follow me. Um, a message kind of similar uh, to the one I want to talk about with us today. And at the end of the message, I don't remember everything about the message, um, but I remember at the end of the message, he actually uh, walked over and some, this was like, so if you knew this pastor, this is so his style. Someone had like wheeled a coffin onto the stage. And so he just hopped in and preached like the last three minutes from the coffin, which I was like, oh, wow, that's commitment to excellence right there, Brian Tome. At the end of the messages, he's like wrapping up uh, his message. And he's like in this coffin, you know, talking about Jesus or whatever. He shared about this practice that their staff had um, every week when they would get together for their weekly staff meeting. And Brian would ask this, the pastor would ask this question. He would say, hey, what kind of day is it? And then he would pick someone in the staff team. And they'd obviously orchestrate this. But when Brian said, hey, what kind of day is it? The worship leader, a woman named Andrea, said, it's a good day to die. 
And that had become like this kind of staff ethos that they had, that, hey, every day is a good day for us to kind of die to ourselves, to die to our desires, to die to what I want, we want, you know, whatever it is that I selfishly cling to, so that I might be alive to God, so I might, my hands and my feet might be used for God's purposes. And as I listened to that message in the car on the way back to Cincinnati, my little Ford Taurus, it wasn't a little Ford Taurus, actually a large Ford Taurus, um, it was a very large boat kind of car. Anyway, my large Ford Taurus uh, became holy ground because I was really forced to reckon with some stuff in my life that I needed to die to. And as part of this message, Brian like detailed all these different things that he needed to die to, and I just found it so inspiring. And I can specifically identify a few areas in my life where I was, I was white-knuckling it, man, where I was clinging to it. I was not ready to die to it. And as that uh, message ended, you know, I had kind of like tears in my eyes because I arrived at that point of conviction where I knew, hey, Jesus, the way I'm living right now is not right, but I don't know that I'm ready to step into the way that is right quite yet, you know. And so I did uh, what any great Christ follower would do. I just said, well, I'll just listen to the message again. Maybe it'll be different, you know. And so like, I did that. And I probably listened to this thing literally like the whole four hours home, you know, just kind of listen to that. And I was just, again, grappling, grappling, grappling. But I, I, I sincerely, I remember that being a turning point, that the kind of new, new thought, the new idea that was generated in me in that car ride home uh, laid the groundwork for me to eventually actually, yes, die to some of the things I was clinging to. And yes, actually experience the new life of God and stepping into what he had called me to step into, which is the very thing that I want to encourage all of us here today, all of us watching online, uh, to give consideration and thought to today. So um, we're going to look at a biography of Jesus' life called the Gospel of John, written by one of his uh, 12 disciples named John, uh, real creative with the naming there. And John records for us this story about Jesus' life, and Jesus kind of giving us this saying, and, and Jesus, I think, reveals to us something really, really important. For all of this series, we've been talking about like how Jesus' death and resurrection defeated all these things that we experience in the world, right? Alex came here last week, talked about how Jesus' death defeated graceless religion. We talked about how Jesus' death um, defeated ethnic division and racial division. We talked about how Jesus' death defeated physical, actual death in, in Easter Sunday, okay? But today is kind of different because we aren't so much going to talk about something that Jesus' death defeated as much as we are going to talk about something that I think Jesus kind of, like, he's opened the doorway for, but now the ball rests in our court, right? Now, now it's up to us to decide what are we going to do with it, okay? And so in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, uh, here's, here's what happens. Now, we're in the last week of Jesus' life. Of course, Jesus is the only one that knows that. Everyone around him is clueless about this. And so they're having, uh, they're up in Jerusalem celebrating the Passover, okay? So it's like a big, like for Jewish people in Palestine, first century, this is equivalent like Thanksgiving, Christmas. It's like the big thing that you, you know, you get all, all worked up for. Everyone comes over, everything like that, okay? And so here's what happens. John 12, 20. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. So some non-Jewish people, they were kind of like interested in Judaism. They were interested in Passover. And so they, they kind of went up just to kind of be a part of the festivities and that kind of thing. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee. Philip's one of Jesus' 12 disciples with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus, which just kind of referenced something from a few weeks ago. Um, 
I guarantee you, Jesus was the only Jewish rabbi in the first century who had non-Jewish people going, I'd really like to talk to Jesus. Okay, That should tell us something about Jesus' commitment to multi-ethnic ministry in his own time and his own place. Okay, Philip went to tell, this is like the most Tallahassee verse in all the Bible. Well, I can't just do it on my own. I need to ask my boss about it. So Philip went to tell Andrew, another disciple, and then they were like, well, now we have a committee, so let's go and tell Jesus. You know, that's kind of how, how things... Okay, no one laughed. Okay, sorry. Sorry, sorry, state government. No, sorry, Ron DeSantis, or wherever you are, if you're listening. Okay, next verse. All right, 1223. Uh, Philip, uh, Andrew Philip went to tell Jesus. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now, Jesus always does this. Like, it's like, hey, Jesus, what's two plus two? And Jesus says... The meaning of life, it, you know, like he never answers the question. Like, Jesus, we just wanted to know if these guys could talk to you. Like, that was all we really wanted. That glorify, like what? Like, I mean, Jesus, they seem like nice guys, but I don't know if I'd go that far, you know. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, okay? Something about these guys wanting to see Jesus kind of apparently triggers for Jesus. The end is here, right? Like, like we are marching toward the end, right? And now here's what's really interesting. We know this now. Philip and Andrew were totally confused, no doubt. We know now when Jesus says, hey, it's my time to be glorified, here's what Jesus is talking about. It's time for me to go to the cross. It's time for me to die. It's time for me to accept the death penalty, okay? And what's interesting is Jesus now, certainly when he walked to the cross, he wasn't like, oh, goody, goody, you know, I'm so excited, right? But Jesus did, apparently, in the way he thought about this thing he was getting right, his, his literal death, right? He said, this isn't humiliation, this is glorification. We're going to look back on this, and we're going to see this death was an amazing, wonderful, great, glorifying to God kind of thing, okay? I just want you to hold that in the back of your mind as we keep going. Next verse, okay. Very truly, I tell you, that's Jesus speak for buckle up, I'm about to drop something on you here, guys, okay? Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds, okay? Jesus, again, Andrew and Philip are like, so is this a yes to the guys being able to see you? A no? Like, what are, huh? Okay, they didn't understand this now, but we looking back now get it, and I'm sure like seven days later, they're like, oh, that's what that's about. Okay, Jesus is talking about his life like a kernel of wheat. And in the same way, when you plant a seed of something in the ground, in a sense, that seed has to die, doesn't it? Like, like if you're trying to plant a, a, a kernel of wheat to get like a stalk, you know, a field of wheat, right, you know? Like, that seed cannot remain, like, its own integrated seed self, right? What happens? Well, we plant the seed in the ground, and the seed skin, and, you know, the outer part, right, it just kind of blows open, and the life that's inside comes out, and it grows, and now we get a plant, and that plant has more seeds, which then get planted in the ground, right? They die, you know, and then they grow, right? That's how this happens. That's how this works, right? That, that's something we learned in, like, fourth grade science class, right? And so Jesus is saying, guys... My goal isn't just to, to have one seed. The Father's goal is not just to have one seed. The Father's goal is that we would have many seeds. The Father's goal is that my kingdom would not just be one perfect person. My goal is that the Father's kingdom would be many people made perfect, right? And the way that's going to happen is because one seed goes in the ground, dies, but through that death produces 
more seeds. Again, Jesus kind of prophetically speaking about himself. But then in the next verse, he makes it scary because here's what he says. Anyone. Okay, so anyone means anyone, right? And this is an all state. There is no one excluded. Black people, white people, Hispanic people, Asian people, men, women, tall, short, thin, fat, you know, beautiful Miss Universe, right? People look like me when you wake up and you know, okay? Like every single person in the world is included in this, right? Anyone who loves their life, Jesus says, will lose it, okay? Anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life, right? So Jesus kind of opens up his little seed metaphor, and now he starts to broaden it, and he says, hey, this ain't just me I'm talking about. This is everyone that I am talking about, okay? Now, Jesus is going to lay out for us two really countercultural ideas about life that I want us to focus in on here. First one is this. Self-preservation results in self-destruction, is what Jesus said. If you try to hang on to your life so desperately, if you try to cling on to it so much that you just can't let it go, that you won't let it up, right? That is going to result in your own destruction, and it will be at your hands, right? You have probably seen this at work in your life or in the lives of people around you, right? They are just so beholden to something, it ends up killing them, right? They just can't let go of it, right? But Jesus continues on, and he doesn't just leave us there. He says, but let me tell you what the opposite of that is. Self-deprivation, right? Planting my seed in the ground, allowing my seed to die, in a sense, right, will result in eventual glorification, right? That, that is actually going to end up resulting in the life that is inside coming out. It's going to result, again, Jesus, when he began, he said, let me tell you, my hour's here, the time where I'm going to be glorified is the language that Jesus used. Now, I want to double-click on a couple of things here uh, from that last verse, okay? Uh, Alex, will you put uh, verse 25 back up there again? So I want to note two things here. First thing is this. When Jesus says that word life, he says it a couple times here in this sentence, okay? That word life is the Greek word suke, which is spelled exactly like our English word psyche, okay? And so when Jesus says, like, life, he, he means it in a lot of the same th ways that we mean when we say psyche, right? We understand, like, your psyche. Like, it's not just your physical life. It's like all the things that comprise your life, right? It's like, it's like my desires, my emotions, my thoughts, my, what I'm beholden to, my right? It's just kind of like this all-encompassing word, right? So Jesus is saying anyone who loves their life, not just meaning, like, my physical life, but, like, all the stuff that comprises our life is going to lose it. Now, that word lose is actually um, the word uh, apo... Oh, I'm going to say this so badly, but thankfully now you speak ancient Greek either. So, <laughs> apolemi is the word that Jesus uses there. Now, that word is actually used in another Bible verse. I guarantee you actually know a Bible verse that uses this word, and I'm going to show it to you on the screen. It's a very, very famous Bible verse. John 3.16, okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That word perish that's highlighted there is that same word, abolimi, okay? That word, Jesus when he uses it in that sentence we just read from John chapter 12, right? It gets translated lose. It sometimes gets translated perish. It sometimes gets translated as destroy, okay? So Jesus is saying, 
if you cling to your to your suke, right? If you cling to your whatever it is, it's like I got this is life for me. Like this defines me. This is whatever it is, right? If you cling to that, you will end up, Jesus says, destroying your life. It, it will just it will just kind of go, you know, boom in the dust. Yeah, we're gone, right? But Jesus says, anyone who hates his life. Um, I'm sorry, anyone who, uh, anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Now, that thing hates their life, right? Jesus isn't like asking you to be like some Southern Baptist or like a Catholic where it's like anything, something fun happens. It's like, oh, no, I must be sinning, you know? Like, like, like that's not what Jesus... Okay, a lot of Southern Baptists in the room. Sorry about that, okay? Jesus isn't saying that, okay? When he says anyone who hates their life, that was a really common Jewish way to speak that basically was saying... Your love for whatever it is that I'm talking about should be so huge that everything else seems like hatred by comparison. So like in another verse, Jesus says, you, know, you should hate your family. Well, Jesus isn't saying you should actually hate your family. He's saying your love for God should be like so intense that it seems like even your closest connections in the world, right? It's like in a totally different category. And so Jesus is saying, hey, here's, here's the pathway to life. Here's the pathway to glorification. It's in you not clinging to your life. It's in you being willing to take those white knuckling hands and to open them up and let go. To, to, to die. And Jesus finishes, and he, he gives us this, I think, such a huge word. In verse 26, he says this. Whoever serves me must follow me. So this is not optional. It's not like Jesus. I, I love the love your enemies stuff. Jesus, I love, oh man, Jesus, when you stuck it to the self-righteous Pharisees, good job. I love, oh, that was all about that. Because I don't really like those people anyway. Yeah. But Jesus says, no, th this is not optional. Like, th this is equivalent to what it means to be my follower. If you want to wear my name, you got to do this. You got to be willing to die to yourself. Th there's, there's not another category for that, okay? Whoever serves me must follow me. Where I am, my servant will also be. Oh, Jesus, where are you going to be? Oh, well, like, I don't know, like at 2 p.m., I got an appointment at the cross. You want to join me there? Uh, no, thanks. I'll leave you to go do that, Jesus. And Jesus, like, he, he's not playing around with this, okay? But then he gives us a promise. He says, well, let me tell you guys something. My Father will honor the one who serves me. God notices every single death you die and he promises to honor it i think both in this life and certainly in the life to come and the kind of irony here is jesus he talks about where i am my servant will also be that's kind of like a little double play right because he's getting ready to go to the cross but he's also saying hey guess what comes after the cross right some pretty good stuff's going to come after the cross right and you're going to get to be there too right this isn't just a call to join him in death this is a call to join him in the life that comes on the other side of us making the decision to die to ourselves, that we might embrace the calling in the way of Jesus. God can only place something in a hand that is open. He cannot place something in a hand that is clenched in fear. And that is the calling that Jesus is making to us today. And so as I finish up here today, normally what I do is I try to give you like, here's the four points of how to die to yourself or whatever. I say it in that voice too, which is what makes it so effective. 
But today I actually want to do something a little bit different. I want to finish up our time together here today by, I'm actually just going to give you a couple images. And I want to talk about some things in my life that I need to die to, or am dying to, or died to once and need to die to again in a new way, right? And my hope in doing that is, A, I think that a lot of us are going to share some of these. They might look different than you, like in different ways for you. But like my guess is a lot of these are not going to be like, oh, unless you're like the only person in the world that has that problem, you know. He said, hopefully. Uh, and uh, B, my hope is, I hope to kind of get us thinking about different areas where it is that I'm clinging to something that Jesus is asking me to die to. And my plea for you is that in your dying to that, that you might lay claim to the new life that is offered to you. So let's start. This is going to be extraordinarily painful for me, probably very entertaining for you. Okay. First picture, beautiful picture of yours truly right there. I, let's just all admire 25-year-old Wes Blackburn right there. Um, wow, you didn't need to shake your head like that, Liz. Thanks. That was really kind. Okay. And this, this lovely little eight and a half by 11 glossy right here uh, represents my need to die to pride. And we've talked about pride a lot here before. Pride is the obsession with yourself. And pride shows up in a million different ways. Pride shows up in my life when I... Um, when I go to a leadership team meeting with our church, right, and I don't get my way, and so I get defensive and I get angry because I didn't get my way because someone dared to think that, you know, my idea wasn't always the best, right? Pride is what shows up when I know my wife wants me to share something I'm going through with her, but I refuse because I don't want to make, like, sully my image before her, right, because I'm too, too tough, you know, to do that. I don't want to look that particular way, right? Um, pride shows itself in a thousand different ways in my life. And pride is something that God is calling us to do. Please get that image off there. I thought you were going to get like, yeah, just go leave it up there. Rest of the sermon. That's good. Um, it's something that I need to die to frequently, okay? Um, I want to show you this verse I read uh, earlier this week from the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel writes that when the king's heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped from his glory. Um, and then this is the line set out. He was driven away from people. And that's what pride does. That's what pride does. When I'm obsessed with myself, it's hard to be connected to people. And I don't want to be that way. And I don't want to be that person. Yet simultaneously, I want to be that way. <laughs> and I want to be, you know what I mean? And when I think about that, I hear God saying, Wes, it's a good day to die. It's a good day to die. Second thing, got some lemons right here coming up. Yeah, lemons, all good. Lemons that are not showing apparently. Well, uh, lemons, oh, there they are, lemons. So lemons represent um, like all the things or all the probably people that make us like bitter, you know, like sucking on a lemon, right? Your face kind of. I don't know why I did that. You can't see my face right now. That didn't help at all. But you like, you know, chew on a lemon, right? It makes your face, you know, kind of like suck in, you know, because it's so tart. It's so bitter, right? That kind of thing. And my guess is all of us watching and listening to this, we have some lemons in our lives. And I don't know what it is about lemons, but man, we just love to go back to that thing, don't we? And just suck on it and just be bitter and be, you know, kind of just worked up about it, right? We all have some stuff and some people that make us bitter. And I kind of realized, man, 
I carry a lot of hurt in my life that I haven't dealt with or a lot of unforgiveness in my life that makes me just angry and it makes me bitter. And like so many of us, I like to go back to the lemon. And I just get more bitter. I get more, you know, kind of thing. And Jesus is looking me straight in the eye. He's saying, Wes, it's a good day to die. It's a good day to die. Third thing. Um, I'm going to show you a picture of a bed. Okay, now... Um, this represents for me um, my need to die to my way of doing things, okay? Um, the bed is important for us because, as my lovely wife knows, like, having a made bed is like, I don't know why it's like a big deal to me. It is not a big deal to her because she kind of feels about the bed like I feel about the grass, which is like, well, why would I cut it? It's just going to grow back again, you know, that kind of thing, right? So I totally appreciate that, just not with the bed. Uh, and so... Uh, so she lovingly made this compromise where it was, whoever's the last one out of bed is the one that has to make the bed. And for a long season, she would be the one that would make the bed. But now she frequently has to be at work earlier than I do, so now yeah, it's back on me, I guess. Um, but that bed, having the bed made, right, that, that's my way of doing things, right? Now, there's nowhere in the Bible that says, like, oh, you must have a made bed, or Jesus doesn't love you, right, or anything like that. Of course not, right? That's not, some of you are like, is that the Bible I got front that, you know? Um, that's, that's not a huge deal, right? It's just my way of doing things, right? But here's what I've noticed about my way of doing things. You ever notice how your way of doing things all of a sudden becomes like more important than the people that your things are being done to, you know? You ever notice how your preferences become like the most important thing and then people kind of come secondary to making sure your preference is being met first, okay? Um, the way I read my Bible, Jesus never asked me to love my preferences, but Jesus always asked me to love his people. And if I'm really honest, there are a lot of things in my life where my way of doing things probably supersedes the people that I am doing them to. And Jesus says, that's a good thing, that's a good day, Wes, to die. It's a good thing to die too. Fourth thing. It's like a little, you know, little bar graph, right? This for me represents achievement. Oh, good. Huh. I achieved breaking this thing right here. That's good. Anyway, um, this represents for me achievement. And uh, I think I've shared about this before, but like I'm a super achiever. Like one of my things I struggle with is um, I just feel like, man, if I'm not achieving or doing something or bringing something to the table, I feel like I don't have any worth that I offer to people. And some of the reason that my image is probably rooted in achieving stuff is because I feel like all throughout my life, like, you know, the things you get praised for, like, oh, good job, at the, oh, great service, oh, good, good report card, whatever it is, right? And the stuff that I get yelled at for is like, bad job, bad report, you know, like, whatever, you're grounded because of B on this thing, or I don't know, whatever it is, right? And so... Like, that, that's been, like, a constant thing in my life that I am now realizing and recognizing about myself. That I'm just kind of wired to, and I need to be a high achiever because I need to, like, validate myself, right? I need to prove myself, right? Not only is that antithetical to the message of the gospel, which is you don't have to achieve, you don't have to earn, Jesus has earned and achieved on your behalf, it's just a really tiring way to live, isn't it? For those of you that live that way, isn't it true? It's exhausting. It is so much every day. Just feel like, man, I gotta wake up and I gotta measure up and I gotta justify myself and I gotta justify why I'm here and being here and earn my way and earn my keep. 
and show that I'm worth it. That's a tiring way to live. That is not the way of life in Jesus' kingdom. Which is why Jesus says, West, today is a good day to die. Last thing. A picture of uh, money right here. Now, certainly this could represent for some materialism. Um, you know, for me, this represents selfishness. Uh, because money is one of the primary tools that I use to kind of uh, accomplish my goals, my ends, my desires, you know, whatever it is that I'm kind of chasing after and hoping to achieve. Um, you know, we had this thing where my wife told me in our house, like, in our house, like, she had some stuff that she's needed to have done, like, medically, so she's had, like, some knee problems, and so we had to pay, you know, a bunch of PT bills and getting seen and all that kind of stuff. And she was basically like, yeah, I was kind of afraid to do that because I knew you'd get really cranky about the fact of, like, you know, we're, how dare you want to walk, you know? Like, what is that, right? Like, man, what a messed up person I am, right? That, that... Get, having a tool that I can use either now or later to achieve whatever it is I want to get, which is probably something extraordinarily spiritual and important like a nice dinner out or a new toy or whatever it is, you know, new jeans or something like that, right? How messed up is it that that's like, you know, my attitude to it, right? That I use as a tool of selfishness. It reveals, you know, the way I, the way I kind of look at money, it reveals something about what lives inside of my heart. It reveals something that Jesus says, Wes, today is a good day to die to that. As we wrap up today, it's a good day to die. And what I want to be really, really clear about is that when we choose to die to something, it feels like a death. Like I, Jesus was intentional in using that verbiage because Dying to your selfishness will feel like a death, especially if that's what you have connected your life to, right? Dying to pride will feel like a death because what that means is you're going to, oh, I got that great comeback. I'm not going to let it loose, right? I'm just going to hang it out and I'm going to say it on the inside, right? Whatever it is, right? Okay, Like it's going to feel like a death. It's going to feel hard. It's going to feel very, very challenging. You shouldn't be surprised, right? Jesus, again, he, he, did, he went to a cross, right? Death was very hard for him too. But the promise of life is every bit is real. And when we will die to ourselves and to our way of living, we open up ourselves to the life of God. We open up ourselves to see that in death, the thing that ironically brings us death is now defeated and we are free to embrace the will and the ways and the life of God. We discover Jesus' promise that where I am, my servant also will be, both in the cross and in the empty tomb. And that the Father will honor the one who serves me. So one last time. What kind of day is it? Today and every day. It's a good day for us to die. May we be a church, a group of people that is known for trusting Jesus into that calling. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, these words are very difficult, challenging, and hard. They are also the pathway to life. 
we are very certain about their challenge and difficulty, we probably feel less certain about the life that is promised to us on the other side. Holy Spirit, overwhelm us with an understanding of your life, that we might embrace your call to die, that we might see, Father, you honor the one who chooses to serve you. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.